you again. Watch your head. Oh, thank you. I, w I would be the one for to forget that. That is for sure. And we all forget. <laughs> I don't know if you, um, you if you want to launch into the the history of who was over there in the corner. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. Yeah. Can we walk over here too? Sure. And Do you want to? Uh, I've been really. Let me say though, he is very territorial. He's very protective of his room. Okay. I'm in the attic of the allegedly haunted James house. It's wet wooden bones resting here somewhere in New Hampshire. I'm prepare for a second. I'm just gonna get my respect in line, I think. I'm with the paranormal investigators, Lynn Nickerson and Willie Hassel. Lynn has just shared with me that she's a psychic empath and is about to take me into a small, dark room. Someone or something else's room. So on the walkthrough, when I first came in here, I just felt that this was the hired hands room, that it was finished for him. There were back doors that accessed upstairs in another stairway, and we feel that some of the, well, like the hired hand and maybe a tenant, used the back stairway. So that would take them up to the attic area or the second floor so that they could be separate from the family. So that plays into some of the activity we've discovered here. We did a documentary on the place, and we interviewed a lady who lives across the street, and in the book her name is Amy, and she has two children, and they're both very psychic. So it was the six-year-old that was up here with his mother when we were wrapping up for the documentary. And when we found out, I believe it was the next day, I spoke to her and she said, you know, when we got home, my six-year-old said to me, someone pinched him when we were up in the attic. She replied to her son and said, well, who pinched you? Because it was just the crew. He said, the man up in the attic. She said, well, who? He goes, his name is Frank. And then she said, well, what did he look like? And he says, he had a white ponytail and he was dressed in a black suit. And I'm thinking, white ponytail, black vest, black knickers. I would call that a suit, too. It's in Skip, who is the Skip um, Webb. He's the president of the James House Association. And he is really up on the history of this house. So to get to hone in on who exactly this person was, um, I quizzed Skip, and I asked him, you know, did they have a hired hand that worked here for quite a while? And he said, you know, for the longest time, we couldn't confirm you know, who they had for, for hired hands. Um, but he said, I luckily came across a, a newspaper article that said there was a Frank James that worked for the family for several years, and that's about all that was said, and that he wasn't a family member. And I had discussed it with one of our other psychic friends, and I said, you know, why do you suppose he appeared to be so nicely dressed and he's a hired hand? And she said, you know, it might be because you're a woman, and he didn't get to meet too many women, and he wanted to show his best side. What would you really, really want to learn from them if you were able to sit across from Frank? You know, what would you ask them? I would ask them how on earth they survived the way they did. I mean, the cold must have been intense. They, I'm sure they got sick often. How did they go out and work the fields? I mean, it was exhaustive physical work, physical labor. How did they do that? How do they put up with all of the, the niceties that we have now? I mean, it must have been a very rough life. And the fact that you, know, you lived to 60, you were pretty lucky. I think Frank, too, was in his 60s when he finally passed or left here. 
He was here for a long time. So that's what I would ask. I would like to know how they suffered and made made it through those hardships. Now they died and what that was like. I'd, I'd like to know what their experience was getting over to the other side and looking back on what they left. Yeah, it's quite a legacy. I'm Jim Perry, and you're listening to Euphemet, a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. On this edition, if these old walls could talk, these walls that keep things out, these walls that keep them in. Lynn M. Nickerson and the strangeness she can't escape. They follow us next on Euphemet. I mean, a lot of people died here. This is what we call the sick room. And rather than putting someone someone in the attic, I think that maybe they used this for us, the adults especially, when they were sick in the winter. And personally, I feel that this is where several of them died from consumption. So uh, the day that Willie was out, I think he got three EVPs, which was this door. That's the sound you hear. On the, on the recorder. No one was in here. He went to take a break for about 20 minutes. And then there's a cough, a woman coughing that we caught. And one of the last owners, um, she fell down the stairs and broke her neck. That was another death. And in this corner, for some reason, is where Mr. Grumpy Pants likes to, likes to sit himself when he's not upstairs in the attic. And this is where Amy from across the street sees him or saw him often when she was a little girl. And he's still here. Um, we did one investigation. This was subsequent to the, the walkthrough. I, this was in August, and I think it was... a. Uh, 2017, somewhere around there, the night of the investigation, I went home and I had a dream. And in the dream, I, the, the setting seemed to be the James house, but it was odd because it was like it was distorted. I was on the floor and I was kind of looking at this wavy wood. It was like right down at the set of stairs, the attic stairs, that's what it looked like. And there was this man in 17th century dress coming down the stairs. He had on knickers and he had on a green coat. He was like holding a guitar in his hand and he had this long waist length black hair down to his waist and it kept falling in his face. He reminded me of a pirate. So he was coming toward me, he was very menacing. And I was trying to escape. I was lying on the floor trying to get away from him but I felt paralyzed. And I tried not to look in his eyes because I felt like if I do that, I will be submitting to his control. I felt that he would be in control if I looked at his eyes. But I could still see his face without glaring at his eyes. And then the dream ended. But my feeling was he wanted us to go away. And I thought, well, who was that? Was he, is he connected to the house? Is he a family member? Who is he? So the next day I sent a copy. I wrote up my dream and I sent a copy to uh, Skip to say, hey, do you recognize this guy? Nope, nope. Didn't know who the heck he was. Well in talking to Amy across the street, and that was about another year had passed. She walked through, she used to play here as a child, and she too, like this other friend of ours, Lindsay and Amy, they both get strong visuals rather than just mental images. 
and she described this guy who was always growling at them and she always saw him down on the second floor and she described him as having a long coat and black hair and knickers and I thought that's the same guy that's the same guy I saw So she says, I don't know if he was a family member, she says, but I think he was a tenant that might have stayed here for a while. So we're thinking maybe, just maybe, he uh, rented the room, the sick room, during some period of time when maybe the family needed cash. Um, so she did say that the reason she always saw him on the second floor rather than up here, because he does move around, when she was a child, the whole attic was blocked off, it was closed off. The stairs were there, but you couldn't access it. So he would come down, he'd float down the stairs, and he'd sit and watch the kids or yell at them. She says he was always grumpy, he was always yelling at them. And so they developed the name Mr. Grumpy Pants. <laughs> so that's what I refer to him as. too was Val Lafazo. After we had gotten several of these images of Frank James and uh, Mr. Grumpy Pants, we wanted to get verification on are we sensing something that's real. So we invited Val, she's a psychic medium, and she walked through the house and she picked up on several of the same areas I did. But she came up there and the first thing she did was sit down just like I did for some reason and she said she was just pelted with all of this energy of children. I thought, strike one, good. Then she picks up on another woman that is tending to the kids and that she had a gray dress on. What she did pick up didn't get a name, but she thought that the woman was also sick because there were five, at least five people that died of consumption here. So she said that she picked up on Mr. Grumpy Pants and the, the bad energy in the eve, she picked up on that too. I don't believe that night she picked up on Frank James, but we got subsequent confirmation from our lady across the street. So that was cool. Everybody senses the paranormal in a different way. And I think it's really important to listen to what everybody has to say because people who are into the paranormal or who are psychic often get slighted. They're, they're almost um, marginalized, you know, and it's really important to get cooperating evidence from different people who don't know the history, don't know the story, and they'll get a piece here and a piece there. And yeah, a lady, great dress, sick, tending children. It's really neat to kind of put it all together. There have been various um, reports of people sensing about three portals on the property, one being outside, and then a couple in here that come and go. And you don't just get spirits that are coming through, you get ETs. We have had pictures and photos, especially in the windows of ETs outside looking in. Someone had said uh, just a little while ago that he felt that there was a portal outside and that he said ETs were coming in. I thought, no, no, <laughs> I just think it's spirits. But then we saw some of the photos and sure enough in some of the panes of glass, it was um, this window on the far side, the end of the sick room, that had a lot of pictures in it. Upstairs in Frank's room in some of the panes of glass, that captured some odd photos, but definitely ETs, just like the little greys. We 
with some other faces, and I remember one in particular was a man who reminds you of Tesla, and he had a beard, white hair, and he kind of looked like, like from the 1800s, early 1800s is what he looked like. And I, I thought, why would that be? But then again, why not? I mean, we, who knows what the paranormal is? I think there's so many intersecting dimensions that you can't really um, box everything up and compartmentalize it. I think there's a, a blending of dimensions and things that go on because we really just don't know. So you have to be open-minded and give some consideration because we know those photos weren't touched. have a relationship with this place? That I don't know. Some people feel that they're benevolent, that they're here to help us. And of course, some of the greys have a bad rap. Um, I did get regressed once, and I was trying to explore a past life. And as the woman is talking to me and hypnotizing me, I start getting all of these images of five different races of ETs. Why they were coming through, I don't know. But one would lift his head up, look at me, and turn his head and lower it. So all five of them showed their faces to me. There were two types of greys, and there were uh, two other strange ETs that they had like brown wrinkly skin. One looked like um, the really fat Jab of the Hut on a much smaller version, but that's what it reminded me of. The skin was brown. And um, the, the one, the Jabba the Hutt was the really wise one. He was like almost like a shaman. And then the other one was sort of a lower level as far as um, wisdom goes. And the fifth one, I would have to call him, it was almost like he was um, part canine, part dog. And he had vertical slits for irises. Where's this coming from? And he had a nose that looked like a dog, and it was all wrinkled on, the, on his nose. So I think they're trying to contact us um, for various reasons, but they're out there, and I think they're honing in on these different energies to try and, I don't know, wake us up. You spent time in Sedona, which is, you know, known for vortexes. Yeah. Was, was there something about that experience that, that you brought here to your understanding about the, the idea of vortexes here? Yes. Talking about Bell Rock and Peter Gersten wanting to be a vortex jumper, I lived in that portal. There's supposed to be a 10 square mile area that is pretty much the portal. I don't know if it moves a little bit. But there's a portal there, and my condo was right there. And then I had one of my most um, vivid dream visitations of a UFO mothership. And it was funny that you said Peter Gersten wanted to encounter the mothership. I saw one. It was gargantuan. And it was um, long, it was shaped long, but I can't tell you exactly how big it was, but at least one mile in one direction because it stretched from my condo to Bell Rock and it stretched about two miles in the other direction. It was huge. That's, that's gigantic. It was huge. Just showing the scale of that place. And 
it was just above, I, my condo was on the second floor, so it was just above the ceiling, but in my altered state, my dream state, which I thought was a dream, but now I think it was an altered state, um, I could look up through the roof, I could look through all of the walls, I had a 360 degree view, through seeing through the walls, I could look up, and I looked at the bottom of this um, mothership, and it was like all um, compartmentalized, and there were little blinking lights, and there were white lights all over the place. Some were off, some were blinking, and some were steady lights. And I could feel the pressure from the air of it, like hovering over the condo. Um, I got the sense that I had been up there, but I had no memory of that. And for some reason, I got the message that it was going to take off. I knew that it was going to lift up, and then it was going to like zoom off like that. So as it's lifting up, I decided to get out of bed and walk to the window so I could get a better view. But I can already see through all the walls. <laughs> so I don't really know. I wasn't thinking logically, and I didn't have to use logic. But I went to the window, and as I did, I saw the thing take off, and it scoops, scoops up like this. It didn't make any whooshing sound. That's kind of like what it did. And on the end of it, it had like a rounded end, and it had like pink tail lights, and it left this striation and then it just blinked right out. So I, I was going to bring this up. Tom Dongo, he has written about, he's um, Sedona and his portals, and he wrote about that one. That's what woke me up to that and what was probably happening. It, it was well known, according to Tom, that the, uh, the UFOs come and go, particularly in that area. And when I had first arrived there, there was the rumor that the, the UFOs landed on Bell Rock. I thought, oh yeah, come on, really? Like, New Agers, really? So I never believed it until I had my experience, and I thought, I know what I, I know what I experienced. It was really um, a shattering experience. Yeah. I'd imagine so. Yeah. So you've got that um, that conundrum about the dimensions, and you know, what is reality? What is real altered reality? What did I? Was that a dream? I don't think so. I think it was um, something that's real that we don't understand, an intersection of dimensions, very much like what you sense here, because you've got the bleed-through from other people coming from the past, and you've got the ETs coming in. Do you feel like they're trying to contact you? Uh, in what case? You mean all the time? The greys, uh, this relationship well, you have. All of it just seems like very interesting, you know, in terms of phenomenon, because you don't always... Uh, Get the variety. The variety. Right, yeah. I was working at a grocery store in Sedona, and it was almost near the end of my shift. It was about quarter to three. I got off at three, and I had about five or six people in line, and I just looked up the line to see how many people were there, and I saw this guy at the very end, and he just had a very calm demeanor about him. So he, he finally gets to right in front of me, and he looks at me and almost goes, oh, you're full of light. And I thought, oh, yeah, right, another new ager. And I said, yeah, well, and I, I really didn't know how to respond because I thought he was just patronizing me. So I'm scanning his items. He was just dressed like a casual traveler. He looked kind of... French or Swiss, and he had a backpack, and he was putting his items in the backpack, and then he starts, he starts giving me a reading, and he says, don't worry, you're not going to be here much longer, and I thought, oh great, he's reading my face, and I, do I look really that sad, but I, I thought I felt up, so um, 
He said something else which I don't recall, but that stood out in my mind. And then he left. He was my last customer, so I cashed out. It took me about 10 minutes. And I went outside. Now in Sedona, of course, you've got the rains in the afternoon, the monsoons, they call it. Usually they hit about 3 o'clock. About 10 or 5, 10 or, yeah, 10 or 5 minutes before 3 o'clock, the, the um, sky turns black. And then it pours. And 15 minutes is over, and everything dries up. So at three o'clock, it was pouring when I left and I went out the front door and there he was under the little overhang. And I said, oh, I thought you'd already left. He said, no, I'm just waiting out the rain. And I'm thinking, I should offer him a ride. And I sized him up and he might've been 40 pounds bigger than I am. So I thought, okay, he's so nice. Um, I could probably fend him off if he isn't nice. <laughs> so I offered him a ride and he took me up on it. So I get in my car. And I said, where are you from? He said, oh, I'm, I'm just visiting. And I said, but where are you from? I knew then that he wasn't what he appeared to be. And he said, I'm, I'm just here for a few days. I'm just visiting and I'll be gone in a couple of days. And I started thinking, you know, he's, he's not my type necessarily, but he's just so pleasant that I would like to, you know, go out and have coffee with him or something. And he turns around and looks at me and says, I'm not looking to be your boyfriend. I thought, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> you're in my mind. And I'm trying to scramble my thoughts so that he wouldn't know what I was thinking. And I thought, I'm just going to pay attention to my driving. <laughs> and he, he was visiting friends about uh, two blocks away. And that was the end of it. But when he left the car, he kept looking at me like either I was strange or that I was going to follow him. I couldn't quite interpret the look. But I got the feeling that he was not entirely human. He was from somewhere else. I swear I met a humanoid E.T. It's very Indrid cold, in a way, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> reading my mind and giving me a reading and, and being absolutely accurate. That was kind of frightening. And I thought, oh, jeez. I just knew. I just wish he would have answered me. You know what's really awesome about this? You you've surprised me some with some stories that I've that I wasn't uh, familiar with. Oh yeah. That I think and and an angle as well in terms of narrative that I was not expecting. Really? Um, yeah. You know it, it's. Thank you. I feel like I feel like you're a little bit of a beacon. Dude. Like I'm just getting that sense that you're a little bit of a beacon for this phenomenon, hmm. and that I feel like that you perhaps carry some of this with you. I just get this sense, and that things like portal energy, uh, you know, I, I've read that those can be transient phenomenons. And yeah. that just like being connected with a powerful uh, energy-centric place, right? That yeah. they can be connected with individuals in that way too. I really believe that, I think. Some people seem to hone in on one certain type, like they hear voices all the time, and like I said, get names. And I don't know why I get the, the variety that I do. And I don't necessarily get it um, all the time or really intensely, but I just kind of verify with other people. But the other way that I get an awful lot of information is through dreams. Mm. I get so many strange dreams. Um, sometimes they're warnings. Sometimes they're precognitive. 
And sometimes uh, only some of the elements will actually come to pass, but the whole picture of the dream um, sends a message that eventually transpires. So yeah, it's a variety. And I don't know why such a variety of out-of-body experiences. Um, skeptics, of course, can be very closed-minded. I think it takes a, a long time before you realize that the paranormal has a very broad scope. And you're not going to withstand all of it. And it's in its interlapping, interconnecting. Um, I think you have to take one thing at a time. Some people like to investigate ghosts. Some people like to know about time portals. Some people are really into UFOs. Past lives. I mean, there are different sections, and I think what you have to do is be open-minded to whatever area interests you, and then just keep reading. And I think your mind opens up. Your awareness expands. It's like someone standing on the ground and looking at a house, and then someone climbing up the ladder and looking at the neighborhood, or someone going up at a plane, and suddenly they can see the whole neighborhood. You know, your awareness expands. And that's what I think should be happening to you if you're at all interested in seeking the truth. Thank you for listening to this edition of Euphemet. Have you watched the short film for this very episode yet? This podcast is only a part of the story. To see more, go watch this episode's video vignette exclusively on Planet Weird's YouTube channel or find it at euphemet.com. Carl Pfeiffer, director of the popular web series Hellier and past Euphemet feature, is traveling with me all season long and realizing Euphemet cinematically. For everything Euphemet, including how you can subscribe to the show, join our Patreon and follow us on social. Visit euphemet.com. This has been Euphemet. I'm Jim Perry. And until next time, keep looking up.